This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon, listeners. Um, I'm your host for today's show, Erin Jones, and I'm really excited. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Robert Llewellyn from the Fully Charged YouTube show, which focuses all on electric vehicles predominantly, but also renewable energy and different um, energy and uh, electrification in renewable sense of all sorts of things, wind farms, he's covered all sorts of things. So we're really pleased to be talking to him today. Um, So I'm going to jump into that pretty quickly. And if we have a little more time at the end, we'll have a bit of a discussion about what's happened in Victoria with these massive um, fires later on in the show, but we're running a pretty tight ship today. For those of you that are interested in all things EV, make sure you get along to the Melbourne EV Expo, which is on on March, Saturday the 16th of March at the Melbourne International Karting Complex. So jump on their website, evexpo.org.au, to get your tickets to get along to that. But let's jump into the conversation that I had with Robert and um, hear what he's got to say. Listeners, I'm really pleased to um, have a special guest on the show today. This is someone that I've certainly um, spoken about and spoken about the show and directed people to go to it lots to uh, look at all the things. And I'm talking um, none other than Robert Llewellyn from the Fully Charged show on YouTube. Welcome, Robert. Thank you very much. and It's great to be here. Thank you. So um, you're in the uh, in the country at the moment, which is lovely, and I've uh, we've been following you on Twitter, and you've been having some interesting conversations around the uh, energy generally and uh, EV kind of setup that's going on here. Which uh, there's some good things happening, and there's some pretty dismal things happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lovely it's a lovely and, and contrasted mix of joy and well i mean for me kind of a bit of bafflement with the uh, the current administration you know there's i don't quite understand you know if you're if you're a complete outsider to the political uh, situation in a country and then you come in and then you watch politicians speaking and you go why why is he saying that mm, i know <laughs> yeah i'm certainly not in a position uh, with my country to say oh look at the well balanced and uh, intelligent government we have <laughs> Far from it. Well, no, there's some interesting things going on there as well. But at least I suppose um, this issue around climate change, I think Australia, maybe barring the US, it's it's become the most uh, polarising in terms of, you know, it's science. It's just, let's yeah. get the politics out of it. And 
Um, and, you know, the, the UK, New Zealand, um, lots of these countries are just going, OK, we acknowledge, this, we acknowledge that this is a problem. Let's just yeah. get on with it. And, OK, they yeah. may have variations on how they want to address it, sure. but at least moving in that way, whereas it has just become an absolute nonsense for the last decade in this country. And um, yeah. Beyond Zero Emissions, which is the, the show that we're on the radio show today, um, what we've done is uh, kind of 10 years ago went, well, we're not going to get bogged down in the politics. We're just going to develop solutions. And so we're yeah. basically a science and solution-based think tank and have put out a number of reports over the years looking at stationary energy. We've looked at high-speed rail. We've looked at EVs. Our, our yeah. most current research, um, we're starting to get into the field that's probably not so sexy and doesn't get as much coverage as, as lots of other things, but things like how to make cement without burning coal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're also going into um, industrial processes. So pretty yeah. much every manufacturing process, whether it's food or textiles or um, plastics, virtually in anything, usually has a heating component, and that's yeah. traditionally been done with gas. And, and as you've been following the... Um, the, the state of economics around um, energy costs and things in this country, those have gone through the roof. And, and what's almost more difficult for manufacturers is, well, A, the, the increase in cost is, is really difficult, but B, it's the volatility of that cost that's made it yeah. so difficult for them. So we've actually done a whole lot of work around how those can be, um, those predominantly gas boilers and things like that that are used in the industrial process with renewables. Um, yeah. And so there's some really interesting, we're working with lots of industry industry groups on that. So, um, you know, there are solutions to all these things, but as we talk about, you know, the thing that's lacking and that's been lacking, you know, for the last 10 years is the political will. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we organisations like ours and others We'll just kind of keep on um, pumping out um, ideas and solutions of how these things can happen. But, uh, yeah. yeah it can, it I mean, can I think be... it, I do genuinely think it's going to be economics that, mm. that drives this, that, that, that in, in a way that I think we can, we will be, well, I'm too old, but, you know, future generations will be able to look back at this time and see the comments made by current politicians as being, you know, almost comically out of touch with what was really going on. Because you could argue quite genuinely, say, 10 years ago, that uh, renewable energy sources were, you know, they were still in development. They were much more expensive to install. Mm. They, we didn't know how long they were going to last. There were so many unknowns in connection with them. The same with batteries in electric cars. No one knew. We, our experience with batteries was very much connected to phones and laptops we had, which where the batteries kind of died after, three, you know, two, three years. And we all imagine that's what would happen with the cars. And we had no one kind of knew what was going to happen. And what's happened since then, and particularly in the last two years, is the costs of all those things have come down to such an extent that there's no argument now. There's no, there's no discussion around which is cheaper. You know, is it cheaper to dig up coal, put it on a train, travel it a, a thousand miles, burn it in a power station, send that power hundreds of thousands of miles down wires and use it to switch on your lights? Is that cheaper than having solar panels on your roof? No, it isn't. Mm. Is it cheaper than building a massive new solar farm out in the desert? No, it isn't. Is it cheaper than having a massive new wind farm and solar farm with batteries? No, it isn't. The most expensive way to produce electricity in particular, I'm particularly speaking, uh, talking about electricity, is to burn fuel. That's it's accepted around the world. And that will drive change to such a rapid degree.
agree. You know, it doesn't matter what politicians say. And what I've really noticed, I've been coming to Australia for 30 years, that what I've really seen the change in that time is the food's got better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're in a good spot for that, aren't you, at the moment? I mean, I've always loved the, you know, when you leave the UK in the winter and you come to Australia in the summer and eat a mango, that's a kind of spiritual journey. <laughs> it's just amazing. But the the like the adoption of solar technology on buildings, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of Australians. Oh, we're so far behind. With it. I mean, you're you know you're doing pretty well. I went. We drove past a bowling club this morning, <laughs> and I think a bowling club. I don't think there's many bowling clubs without solar on them. Actually, I think no, it must I mean, a rule. This had, this had industrial levels mm. of solar on the roof. I mean, I don't know what it, they would have had. Uh, 30 or 40 kilowatts of solar on the roof of that building. It's quite a big building. Mm. And you think that was not there 10 years, 10 yeah. years. It certainly wasn't there 30 years ago. It wasn't there 10 years ago. It might have been five, but it's really rapid, that adoption. And mm. from talking to people who work in the energy industry here, that level of solar penetration in the domestic market or the small businesses that are doing it has had a noticeable impact on the coal industry, which is why they're kicking off. They're selling mm. less coal. They're burning less coal because we don't need to burn it because we don't need the power you know you if your house you say or your supermarket also went to the biggest solar car park in the in, in australia in the, on the gold coast it is really impressive the roof of that building huge roof is huge amount of solar panels well that is going to make a definite financial impact on that the company that runs that building that has all that lighting and air conditioning you know, and you're going to be burning less coal as, as a result because they're going to be demanding less electricity from the grid. And those things will start to shift, yeah. uh, you know, because of the, the economics of it. Oh, they are. And, I mean, that's something that we try to focus on is, is positive things that actually are happening. And, and I know that you're in Queensland at the moment and probably not far down the road is um, we did a story on the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm. And basically the council in, in that area... Um, you know, that took took a lot of time and, and, yeah. and really looked into the economics of it and over probably a period of sort of a, a really thorough business um, proposition was, was put together. Right. And basically they have built a solar farm that um, offsets 100% of the electricity used by that council. So that's wow. every library, every swimming pool, every recreation centre, wow. every council depot, every office – is completely offset by this farm that they've wow. built, and it will save ratepayers. And this was the, the projection, something like, oh, I can't remember exactly. I've got the recording of, but but twenty odd bil- uh, million right. over the course of it. That was when the pro- the business proposal was put together. Because right. of the price of of energy and what's happened, it's actually going to, and it has already outstripped those savings. Um, and, and this is a thing that, you know, so many other councils and like you say, you know, bowls clubs and all these things, it just makes sense. So, yeah. you know, and, and we know that. I mean, this is a country with such abundant um, natural resources in terms of solar and wind and um, all those things. So, you know, we've kind of, especially at a federal level, kind of given up on um, the federal government. But there's yeah. so many community initiatives, local government initiatives, state uh, state government initiatives um, Queensland particularly has, um, I don't know if you've seen much of the literature around the um, supercharging highway, which now you can go from Brisbane to yeah. Cairns, and there's the second stage of that is going out west. Um, on that, so, so, you know, the, 
there is stuff happening. It's just... I think there's a lot happening. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think the, the the kind of obvious difference, say, between Australia at the moment and you know uh, certain states in the United States and also a lot of countries in Europe is the, the slower adoption of electric vehicles. I mean, that's mm. noticeable. But it's not like there's none here. No, there are. They are appearing, and they're going to start to have an impact. I mean, uh, the, you know, I'm just, when I very soon after I get back to the northern hemisphere, I'm attending a big. Uh, electric vehicle conference in Oslo, which is far and away the leader in terms of mm. the adoption of electric cars. But they are a kind of exception. I mean, it's over yeah. 50% of new cars sold now in in Norway are electric. Mm. And, you, and it's very noticeable when you're on the streets of Oslo that you actually kind of notice the petrol Volvo that's driving. You don't notice because <laughs> everything else is electric. <laughs> yeah. You kind of go, oh, look, there's one of those old petrol ones. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that quaint? Become become the exception. Yeah, no, I mean, so that and that the what I mean, what is fascinating about that conference is it's an amazing test bed for all, a lot of the fears that people have, and that's mm. quite right. There's no reason, you know, I, I don't denigrate people for having those. You know, what will it do to the grid? Does it melt the wires? Does it put extra pressure on? Do you have to generate more? And everything they've done shows that it doesn't do those things. You know, that it it, it reg, helps regulate the grid. And we're talking a country of only five or six million people, mm. but with now, you know, many hundreds of thousands of electric cars that, that they charge regularly on their existing grid. They haven't done anything to it. They haven't had to build new power stations. I mean, all their, it's un, they're very, they've got a lot of unfair advantages. All their electricity is renewable and has been, mm. you know, for decades. So it really does make a very, very big impact. Um, uh, the, the, the flip side of that is one of the ways they're able, as a government, to afford to subsidise new electric vehicles and, uh, you know, build the infrastructure is that they're selling, for instance, the United Kingdom, vast amounts of gas. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of counterintuitive, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. hey, at and least they're selling, they're selling oil to yeah. us so that they don't have to burn it. You know? yeah. yeah, so they, they don't want to waste it themselves, so they'll sell that to us at enormous price. I'm sure. You know, and that's that's the the kind of key thing that's that, uh, that, that you know the the difference that it would make to the Australian economy. And it's all, I I'll usually start with the economic argument mm. about electric vehicles. You know, and I can say this with confidence from direct hands-on experience over the last ten years. An electric car is cheaper to run, mm. and it's cheaper to own. I mean, even if it's more expensive to buy, the amount mm. you save during the lifetime of the car is phenomenal in comparison with um, you know, fossil fuel cars, mm. they just are cheaper. And that total cost of ownership, getting people to think in that way... It's so hard. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, I mean, there's, you know, there is some interesting stuff happening here. And we had a, um, a guy on the show a little while ago from Sea Electric, which is a truck manufacturer right. in Melbourne. And they're doing... Um, not massive trucks, they're sort of doing light and medium rigid size vehicles, but things like right. um, grocery delivery vehicles, and there's actually quite a few in, in testing. Um, and that's what we were talking about, that t the total cost of ownership, and especially with those big fleet buyers that they're starting to get a lot of interest, you know, the big, the big supermarkets yeah. and the like. You know, when they start looking at this, and I think that's a whole other discussion because the whole dealer... Um, model of selling vehicles and the servicing that was associated with that, yeah. what's going to happen and you know you can, there's a whole kind of um, thought there around well what does that business model look like when you now don't have that same level of servicing yeah. income yeah. that comes in I mean it's a, it's a very, it's a big challenge for the, the 
the motor industry, you know, the traditional motor industry, is that they're a lot of their income came from the sales of spare parts, the supply mm. of spare parts, the labour involved in servicing uh, petrol and diesel engines, which need a lot of care in their lifetime and a lot of expense, which you're never told when you see the advert of the happy family driving in the SUV mm. <laughs> through, always through the least crowded streets ever seen yeah. and the long, lovely country roads. But they never say, and obviously you're going to have to spend, you know, two or $3,000 a year servicing the car. That's just normal. But, you know, and, you know, I, you know, I, my oldest electric car is the original Nissan Leaf, which came out in 2011. We drive it every day. It's never broken down. It's never done anything other than just go along. It isn't a particularly brilliant electric car by today's standards, but it's it's done incredible service. It's had one service in its life. We've driven over 70,000 miles in it mm. over that period. You know, and even then. I was a bit moody when I took it in for a service at the Nissan dealer because it, it cost like £120 and they really effectively only topped up the screen wash because <laughs> there's nothing to do on it. Yeah. No, it doesn't need anything. You know, there was, they, did, they replaced zero spare parts. I mean, it has to have a, a, a thing in the UK, an MOT, a motor. Yeah, like yeah. a safety check. And it has that every year, which it always passes. And eventually, I think probably next year, we might have to get some new brake pads on the front. It's had tyres, but then I keep an eye on the tyres, you know, so that mm. would have that anyway. It's had new tyres, but that's all. You know, it's really, it's just been, you know, and I can, I've had petrol cars for years, and I was, that was a big expense. You know, you take it in to have it done, mm. and the gaskets have changed, and the oils change, yeah. and the, you know. Well, there's thousands of, of moving parts, you know, thousands. Yeah. Have you heard about the Melbourne International Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, trucks and more. The event is being held at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne on Saturday, March 16th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focus seminars and tech talks. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au or find us on Facebook. The Melbourne Electric Vehicle Expo is a 3CR supporter. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show. My name's Erin Jones, and I'm really pleased to have um, a special guest today, Robert Llewellyn, who's um, actually in the country. And um, for those that don't know, I probably jumped ahead, but Robert is the founder and originator of the Fully Charged show, which you can view on YouTube. And um, Robert, if we just have a bit of a um, look at the history, you've just ticked over some fairly significant figures with I think it's 400,000-odd subscribers and 50 million views. So, A, congratulations, and, um, and B... You know, when you look back to those early episodes, what was the what was the spark that kind of got you out there? And I mean, I know you, you've got a background, obviously, in, in um, TV and acting. Yeah. And um, but what was the thing that went right? I'm going to start putting these out to the public. This kind of information and sharing this. I mean, it was a, it was a, a, a long, slow process. It wasn't just a sort of overnight decision. So I used to make a, a, a TV series that I think was shown here for a short time called Scrap Heap Challenge, which was an engineering challenge show that we did for 10 years in the UK. And we also made an American version. And so I spent a lot of time working in California in about, where are we now? Oh, no, more than 10 years ago, a lot more. 
uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, and it was while I was there that I met a lot of, you know, we, we had engineers on the show. That was part of, you know, the people who built the weird machines we asked them to make. And a lot of those people were involved in the very early developments of electric drivetrains, battery management systems, uh, you know, how you charge big battery packs, all that stuff. We're talking sort of 2001, 2002, and I had no idea why they were bothering. It was a complete mystery to me. I didn't understand what the, the, the reasoning behind that was. But it was very much a movement that came out of Silicon Valley and the computer industry rather than the car industry. It sort of came from left field in that sense. And that, a lot of those people that, that I met then went on to work for, the, for Tesla. For the electric car company in America, and uh, this is pre-Tesla and pre-Elon Musk. <laughs> so it was mm. nothing, you know. It's grown to. to he was still doing extent. PayPal and getting a billion dollars. Yeah, for he that. was still doing PayPal and and buying ridiculous sports cars, you know. So uh, petrol ones. So it was, you know, very early days of that. But I did witness some, you know, very uh, impressively fast uh, electric prototype cars. The Prius, the the Toyota Prius, had only just been introduced uh, into america or you know a few years before that so that was new to me i hadn't we didn't have them in the uk and everybody was you know all, all the sort of car people the kind of you know the car journalists were so dismissive of it and that kind of caught my ear and i went why are they so angry about the prius i mean i'm talking you know let's be specific jeremy clarkson yes. top <laughs> hated the prius with such a Mm. venomous passion that I thought that oh I quite like it then <laughs> just because he hated it it's got to be interesting uh, and that was a really important transitionary car because it was you know part it is a partly electric vehicle and you're kind of intrigued I was going god an electric motor actually pushes this car along you know for only a few miles uh, you know if you're really careful with the Prius you can do it but you know, it was kind of intriguing, and it was sort of it, the interest grew very organically over many years. And it was only with the advent of things like YouTube, the advent of cheap ways to edit video and shoot video, because I've worked in the TV industry for you know well over 30 years, and it used to be incredibly expensive to do something like that. <laughs> We're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds for an edit suite, and now mm. you can do that on your phone. You know, so yeah. that it was a combination of two different technologies that made it possible to launch something like fully charged and it was you know partly the, the changes in how you could in effect broadcast a tv show and make one and also the actual technology of the cars so those two things came together kind of in the late 2000s and and uh, i launched fully charged in 2010 and you know it was a really slow start i mean it took nearly two years to get a combined one million views on youtube mm. and then last well this year so far we've had five and a half million views since january so wow. it's changed a bit yeah well i mean you know and it's a bit of a reflection isn't it of the um exponential growth that the electric vehicles are going yeah. in i mean the, the episode that will be released tomorrow in oh, well today you i mean tomorrow uk time today uh, late today is of honda's latest mm. uh, electric vehicle which is you know we're the one of the first people to see it and that is an absolutely revolution because it's a mass-produced cheaper mm. urban electric vehicle brilliant design brilliant technology in it and they and honda are you know it's suddenly all these people who work in car companies that have spent most of their careers redesigning the front fender or the bit of housing that goes around the lights on yet another diesel suv or a petrol suv 
those constant iterations to try and keep selling the same machine. Mm. And suddenly they've got something completely different to do. And they are so pumped, yeah. <laughs> as they would say in California. <laughs> uh, you know, they're really like excited because it's a completely different design concept. You know, if you're if you don't have to fit a great big block mm. of engine and all the stuff that goes with it into a car, you can change the shape of the car. You have a, you know you have a battery pack underneath the floor and a tiny little electric motor at the back, and the rest of it you can do whatever you like with. You know, so it's a it, it, you know it's a very exciting time. I would imagine. But I've been told by many people who do, who work for people who work in the motor industry, in, in, in kind of car design and development, they're on an absolute roll at the moment because it's much more fun than repackaging yet another petrol engine in yet another, you know, boring car. Well, it's, a, it's sort of the ability to have a blank sheet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I suppose yeah. that's what Tesla, to a degree, just kind of went, well, we don't have the baggage of that history yeah. Um, yeah. and can just go... Right. How do we make this, you know, yeah. n- not only a great electric vehicle, but a really compelling um, yeah. luxury motor car that people are yeah. going to desire and want and everything? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, I'm staggered at the amount of Teslas we've seen in Australia, because in, uh, I mean, in many states in America, certainly in places, many countries in Europe and including the UK, you would actually get a, a small government grant to reduce the price of a new electric vehicle, including a Tesla, which I actually think is a bit out of order because if you can afford to buy a Tesla, you shouldn't be getting a government mm-hmm. grant, but you actually get some help to encourage the take-up. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, you have to pay a luxury mm. car tax. So that even this is the most expensive place you can buy a Tesla in mm. Australia. And yet there's over 3,500 of them on the road. And I've seen them. I mean, we saw oh, There's waiting lists, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, is, that gives some indication that there is a great deal of interest here. And the cars that are coming here soon that are much more reasonably priced, the, the Kona, later this year, the Honda. I mean, that's coming mm. to Australia as well. They've they confirmed that. Right-hand yeah, well, drive. Uh, you know, so those cars, we have a, a Hyundai Kona in the UK, and it is an amazing car. And it, yeah, well, the it, review on that it looked, it looked amazing. And yeah. so, so well, it, goes the, it goes the same distance as a, as a 80, well, I mean, a $100,000 Tesla, but it's hard, less than half the price. So, yeah. You know, it's, so, yeah. So talking on that then, I mean, you mentioned a couple there, but what, and look, that's what, you know, th- there is this pent-up demand. And, I mean, in Australia, um, you know, the amount of vehicles that are... Um, available to the public is pretty minimal um and and look i think that's going to be one of those things and and i tell i tell friends that are um you know not as into this as i am that this will change and it will change much more rapidly than you think um but but really at the moment the choice has been incredibly limited and especially if you you're working on a pretty reasonable budget and and can't go and splash out on a you know, a, a new Tesla or an iPace yeah. or something like that. But, you know, once we do start getting these mass market um, yeah. at reasonable pricing levels available, um, it, it's just going to go through the roof. But, um, but sort of, you know, and it is also that thing that, you know, there's going to be a time in the next, you know, year in Australia that someone on a suburban housing development that's got solar panels, gets an electric car, and they plug it in, and yeah. their neighbour will go, what, what's that? And they'll go, oh, I don't have to pay for the fuel ever because mm. I get it off the roof mm. for nothing. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, really? You know, and how far have you driven? Yeah, but they don't leave. They run out after 10 miles. Well, no, I just drove, you know, 400k in it, and it's fine. And there's a charger up the road, and there's a charger near where I go to work, and I charge it. You know, that's, that news spreads 
word of mouth mm. so rapidly. Yeah. And that's been noticed in the UK where there, where one guy on a housing estate gets an electric car and everybody's kind of, you know, they're interested, but they think it's rubbish and it's not a proper man's car and all that sort of nonsense. And within a year, there's five electric cars in that in that street. Because <laughs> yeah. other people are going, oh, I want one of them. He, and the other, paid. the solar penetration in this country and uh, is enormous. And yeah. it's that kind of circular relationship with you know, get the electric car and then go the solar or have the solar yeah. and the electric car. It's just, Absolutely. it just makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even in the UK, so I mean, our little Nissan Leaf charges through a thing called a Zappy charger, a really clever bit of, for once, proudly British technology, which is, uh, a, all it does, it's very simple. It, 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 as soon as it registers any electricity from your solar panels going out into the grid, it puts all of that into the car. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to do anything. You just plug the car in. It won't be charging. Say if you plugged it in early in the morning and there's no sun, and uh, the sun comes up, and you, I, I've got batteries in my in my house as well, so I'm a bit a bit weird like that. But once there's nothing using the electricity in the house, it puts it in the car. So we, I reckon, we've driven over twenty thousand miles. So I don't know what that is in k, long way in mm-hmm. in a, an electric car at a fuel cost of literally zero, no, not a penny. And it's not we haven't driven 10 miles or 50 miles, no, 20,000 miles over, mm. over a few years. And that is just, in, that would have been impossible to even think about 10 years ago. You know, you know, no one could do that. Mm. And that, the, the, the annoying thing I feel about Australia is if you have the same number of solar panels on your roof as I do in the UK, you get loads more mm. than I ever will. Oh, yeah, the bang for your buck on putting solar here is, is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. With it, but... Um... So, uh, I mean, it will be fantastic to see that, and I'll look forward to seeing that um, next episode that comes out about the Honda yeah. because it's going to be really interesting to see these these much more reasonably reasonably priced EVs come on yeah. the market and what sort of a, um, production levels they're going to be able to, to ship them out at uh, yeah. because I, I do think that will change enormously over the next couple of years. And yeah. And there is the demand, and there is the appetite. And yeah, um, in, in a couple of weeks, there's the Melbourne EV Expo. I know, and I can't go. I was really annoyed. I wish I could have stayed for that. I'd like to have gone to that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, you know they're getting. Uh, I think there's a few manufacturers going to be there. Renault was there last year with the Zoe right. and the um, I think the Kango. They call it the little cargo van. Yeah. And we're doing test test drives, and there was lots of e-bikes there, and 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 because it's at a cart track, go, go-karting go track, so, right. so they had the ability to do that. Um, and I think there's a few more manufacturers coming on board this year, but, you know, the queues to do those test drives and test rides was sort of out the door kind of thing. Yeah, and bet. so yeah. this, you know, there is so much. So it will be really interesting to see as those, those more um, affordable models do come online, what the kind yeah. of take-up is. And I mean, and, I think it is interesting that the... Um the, the sort of public reaction uh, to electric cars, say, in, <coughs> excuse me, in, say, 2010, the manufacturers are saying, well, we don't think there's any demand for them and people aren't interested mm. in everything. And that, that has so flipped around completely the other way mm. is that all the pressure is on the manufacturers now. Wait a minute, there's, there's waiting lists of 18 months for these cars mm. and everyone wants to get them and they're, and they're not producing enough of them. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, discussion about as to why exactly that is. And I think you have to uh, acknowledge the fact that big manufacturers have this vast legacy, you know, over 100 years of developing the ways to manufacture, you know, uh, petrol and diesel engines 
incredibly complicated machines and they've got this whole infrastructure built up to do that and they've got what are they going to do they've got to wind that down switch it mm. off and start making electric it's a really complicated process when you're talking about very large volume manufacturers nissan honda toyota renault uh, you know all those companies have got enormous amounts of factories volkswagen you know is a huge uh, global mm. entity and to, to to shift that great big legacy is a really big challenge. I mean, the, the one, I think the interesting European manufacturer is Volkswagen because of their more recent history, mm. which isn't exactly glowing. They haven't got any choice. And I mean, they are, they are shifting enormous, an enormous logistical change. So they won't make any petrol or diesel Volkswagens in Germany by the end of next year. Well, I mean, that's a short timeline for a big company like that. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, these are massive organisations. Yeah. That's like turning on a on a pinhead. Yeah, yeah. For that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, they, well, they were really in trouble. I yeah. Mean, you know, the, the Dieselgate scandal was, uh, you know, so shocking and so, mm. you know, I I kind of well, no, I did know that they they all cheated with with uh, you know vehicle emissions. Mm. I mean, everybody in the business knew, and I've been told by so many engineers. You know, I said, when it says, you know, 142 grams of CO2 per kilometre, is that accurate? And they'd laugh and walk away because <laughs> they knew it was actually 290 mm. or 300 or 700. It was nowhere near the claimed thing because they cheated on the test. And everybody knew that. That's not just Volkswagen. They all did it. Mercedes did it. Audi did it. BMW did it. You know, that they, they cheated and lied to try and get around the, the, the regulations because the regulations are really tough for them. If you're making an engine that burns a fossil fuel and it, and it pumps out toxic gas as a result of that and then local authorities and cities and countries say you can't do that anymore, you go, oh, well, we've been doing that for 100 years. Mm. <laughs> what, what are we supposed to do? Let's put a special box on the exhaust and tell them that removes all the, all the particulates and see if we can get away with it. You know, they really were so wrong. They yeah. lied yes. and they got caught. You know, and I think that is, I think that says everything about internal combustion. You know, the internal combustion engines are Victorian technology. Mm. They came from steam engines. They're pistons and cranks and valves and flywheels. And we really need to move on. Yeah. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Listeners, we're chatting today on the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Robert Llewellyn and um, I'm your host, Erin Jones. Robert, uh, we've kind of touched on it, but one of the questions I was going to ask you was which manufacturer do you think is the most enthusiastic about an EV future? And when we've just kind of been talking about Volvo's, uh, sorry, Volkswagen, is that the one that, that jumps out to you or, or what, what's your sense? I mean, it is really hard to, to pick one out. I mean, I think 
because there's so many stories around all these manufacturers. I certainly think at the moment Volkswagen will be the first. <clears throat> well, it's going to be Volkswagen. It's, uh, if there was a race, it would be between Volkswagen and Honda, strangely, as to be the first company. Honda's kind of been late to the party. Almost. They are very late to the party, but uh, I think when you see the car they've, they've just introduced, you'll go, oh, crap, right, they've taken their time, but they've done mm. it right. You know, I'm very impressed with what they've made. Uh, but, I mean, that, that's, again, in a sense, what we were talking about just now. It is, you know, they're ramping up the, the, their factories so that they can produce hundreds of thousands of these rather than mm. 50 that they, they, they sell to one particular city so that they've got electric cars in their fleet, you know, which is what's yeah. been happening for a long time. So a very limited amount of cars being released. So, I mean, other than Tesla, I think... Um, uh, I think Volkswagen and Volkswagen, Honda, obviously Nissan and Renault, way ahead you know they've been doing it for a mm. long time now they've been set they've sold hundreds of thousands of their cars and it's really a question of whether they can kind of keep up because obviously the technology is constantly evolving and improving uh there's a new renault zoe coming out this year that, that w w w i think will have a 250 mile so a 400 kilometer range on a charge and it will charge faster so all those things are charging it's not only how far the car goes on one charge, it's how fast you can charge it. Yeah. And that is a really big change that I must admit, even two or three years ago, I didn't see coming. Yeah. And that's a really a rapid development. We've already charged cars at 175 kilowatts. So that's even faster than a Tesla supercharger. And you're talking like four minutes to add mm. 80 kilometers. Mm. You know, it is much, much quicker. And, uh, you know, that, that, it's that sort of technology that will make. Uh, electric vehicle use in Australia far more plausible. I mean, the truth of the matter is, it's plausible now for yeah. ninety percent of everyone's journeys in Australia. Well, too. exactly, and that was—I yeah. mean—the EV research that we put out now, probably, uh, probably two or three years ago, um, looked exactly at that, and it was something like, you know, the average Australian drives. And I'm going off the top of my head here, so it's probably. Not right, but it's in the ballpark. It was something like 19 kilometres or 29 kilometres a day. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, there's this idea of this big country. And, yes, people do make those big journeys, but they're yeah. not the journeys that most people make most of the time. And no, of course I not. kind of have these conversations with people sometimes saying, how often do you move house? Oh, once or twice a year or once every 20 years. So I said, but do you drive around in a furniture removal truck? Yeah. Of course not. Don't be stupid. Well, yeah. Why are you buying a vehicle for that trip you make once a year? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whereas most of the vehicles that are out even now could actually satisfy. And I mean, Australia, even though it's this enormous country, you know, the vast bulk of the majority of the population live within sort of 50k of the coast. And it's yeah. actually quite urbanised. Yeah. Um, so, so it's kind of this fallacy. There's this idea um, of doing, you know, what yeah. people do, but it's not actually the reality. And that's what no. I kind of, you know, but it's getting those people to kind of think a little bit differently and go, well, yeah, that's right. I don't actually do that most of the time. And if I do want to do that, well, hey, maybe I rent a car or yeah, whatever exactly. it might be, or I use a car sharing service. Or, or... with an, if an, an intelligent manufacturer would say, look, we'll sell you this electric car, which is only, only good for 90% of your journeys. Mm. And the other 10%, you, you book, it, book it in advance. We deliver the car to you, you know, a massive petrol SUV for your ridiculously long journey. Mm. And when you come back home, we'll take it away again. You know, and that 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 yeah. has happened in uh, BMW. Have done that in Germany. That yeah, right. You buy a BMW i3, 
I mean, I think you have to pay for the rental, but it's, it's much cheaper than it, mm. if you went to a, a, you know, a car rental company. But they also deliver it to your house. Yeah, right. And this is, I think this is the interesting thing that we need to start looking at, those type of things. And then, you know, a, to, a total cost of ownership financing package yeah. um, so that, okay, there might not be that premium up front, which... Um, you know, can be the barrier, um, yeah. and how and how that kind of works. So, you know, all these things, these obstacles are, you know, we can overcome them. It's just kind of, of thinking course, yeah. them a little bit differently. Um, I mean, the thing that I think is the most likely, and it's, and I think, do believe this is generational rather than you know, like people my age, my old duffers like me, you're going to find this very hard. But young people are much more uh, uh, likely to adopt that is the concept of private car ownership is changing. Mm. And I mean, the people that are the most aware of that are the manufacturers. Mm. And they can see the statistics and they can see how the younger generation are changing with their attitudes to it. And they're now, you know, one of the advantages of electric cars is they're much easier to share because they're already kind of highly connected. Mm. In, in all, uh, for all intents and purposes, an electric car is a battery on wheels yeah. and a computer. That's actually what it is. And those, and those, you know, like a, a Tesla is a good example, but it's constantly updating, just like your phone. Mm. So my car is always updating and has different sat-nav settings and the heater works in a more efficient way. And, it, you know, it's, it's renewing itself over the air. I don't have to do anything. Mm. You know, it just, it just does it. And that sort of concept of you don't own a car, but you have the same access to one as you do now, yeah, it's Most kind of moving people. from that mindset of a product as opposed to a service. Yes, and it, it's just, I mean, transport as a service, I think, will, and it, it's going to take a long time, and it will it will grow out of cities, certainly. So, I mean, a lot of European cities are already doing this, and they're also witnessing a decrease in private car ownership, which means there's more space on the streets. Mm. You know, and I mean, although I've been to all these seminars at universities where they've worked out what would happen if no one owned a car, but we all had the same access to them as we do now. Mm. And it, we would need 80% fewer vehicles on the roads. Yeah. If you think of a, a, an urban street, cram, I mean, in London, crammed full of massive three-ton SUVs <laughs> that are jammed onto the pavement because no one's got room to park them. And you take all those away, but all those people who live on that street can still use a car whenever they need to. And it will drive up to their house and they'll get in it and drive off. You know, that's not, it's, it's getting less and less ridiculous an idea. It's becoming more and more plausible. And also all the other alternatives, you know, there is that thing where the car became a, a really vital central symbol to kind of Western democracy and freedom, which, you know, and well, it had it's a shaped vital cities role. cities for the play, last 50 it, years. Yeah. You know, the private and car it's ownership. Been, uh, it's completely dominated our world. I mean, roads have taken mm. over, our, you know, there's so many roads. And they just have to get bigger and bigger because they keep jamming up and so we make them bigger, which everyone knows from the most, you know, it doesn't matter what your political opinions are or anything. That doesn't work. If you build more roads, you'll still have traffic jams because yeah. more people get cars. So, you know, there is, a, you know, there's a lot of movement around the world to break that endless cycle. It's, it's unsustainable and ridiculous. And when you see things like, you know, the early autonomous cars that, I've been in uh, now five different autonomous vehicles from different manufacturers, and it is weird, but what you, what you really sense, particularly in two of them, that, that was the safest road journey in a car I've ever done when I was in that car. And there was, this was a, a regular car that had been converted to drive itself. There was someone sitting behind the wheel, mm. but they never touched anything, and that car drove 
perfectly, you know, made no mistakes. It didn't get bored. It didn't retune the radio or send a text. It concentrated 100% <laughs> on moving around safely and not hitting anything, you know, which is the, the role of human drivers. And we're not very good at it. No, I think, and... I think it's going to take longer to come to fruition than some people say. I think it might be 10, 15 years. And it will start in, there'll be areas in cities. You know, there'll be a part of Sydney that only has autonomous vehicles in it in maybe eight years' time. Mm. And it will gradually spread. But I think, you know, and there'll be cities all over the world that do that. Yeah, um, and I think probably the thing is is not that the technology's not there, but it's kind of the legislation and the attitudes it's, it's all catching to do with up. The law. Yeah, the technology works already. I mean, there's some big problems with the technology in that it's a really energy-hungry technology. Mm-hmm. So when you put that, uh, the, the computer power needed to do it in an electric car, you, you reduce the range of the electric car rather dramatically because yeah, right. it's running all the computers. Um, but, you know, the, the, we all know those computers get smaller and lighter and mm. less energy intensive, you know. But it is a phenomenally um, computing heavy task to drive a, a, a fully autonomous vehicle that has 100 percent awareness of 360 degrees around yeah. it. So, um, you know, it's amazing when you see all the screens and what it's working out, whether that's a child, a post, a dog or a person on a bicycle and it can tell it's freakish mm. you know it is extraordinary and really i suppose those aren't functions that we want to um starve of energy really because i mean no. you know it's pretty essential yeah, she really that, that they would really know yeah, yeah. <laughs> Celebrate International Women's Day with 3CR. On Friday the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women. Join 3CR's fabulous women and genderqueer broadcasters as we talk with talented Melbourne musicians, songwriters, storytellers and activists making a difference. Featuring a special live broadcast from the 2019 International Women's Day Rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au. International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March 2019. Tune in at 8.55am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. I think one of my favourite, well, I wasn't going to say recent, but it's a year ago now episodes, and I've I've spoken about it on this show and referred people to it, um, and I think it's one that is so important for people who maybe this is new to to get a sense of. But it was an episode you put out with Eric Fairbain about twelve months ago, barriers yeah. to EV adoption, um, and and it just steps through in such a logical way a lot of the things that we've talked about today, and kind of when those things just become defunct. I mean, it is, I mean, that worries the, the living daylights out of traditional car makers when they, when they you know, when I've seen Eric speak to large groups of car manufacturers and they don't, they're, they're terrified because they can see the sense in it, they can mm. see the logic in it. And that's a really big challenge for them. I mean, it's a, you know, that, 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 that the value of um, petrol and diesel cars will just disappear oh, and they'll yeah. get more expensive because the, the cost of making them is so much more expensive than electric cars and the cost of fueling them is and the impact on the environment and the, you know just those simple arguments that you know I don't actually know what the situation in Australia is regarding 
uh, you know, fueling all the cars you have here, whether you import that oil or whether it's... Predominantly. Probably, but predominantly. In, I mean, and you could make it... <laughs> Yeah. And and that's the bit. It took me a while because I'm not terribly bright, particularly with economics. But it was an economist who said that. I said, so when we buy oil from Saudi Arabia, does that mean money leaves our economy? And I can't tell you the look on his face. <laughs> I thought I was talking to someone intelligent. And he's just asked the most stupid question. And he had to sort of nod and go, yes, of course. You know, and it is billions of pounds a day leave the UK shores to go to pay for the oil that we use to run our cars. Well, you know, when you then see, particularly in the UK, it's wind is the big source of renewables. That mm. we could produce, you know, all of the fuel. You know, we could stop buying any oil, but you wouldn't stop buying any because you use it for many other things. But you would stop buying any oil for powering land transport, mm. which is a vast amount of money that leaves us to do that. And then, and that will, you know, that money is going to stay in the country and create jobs to maintain those systems and build more ones and develop more you know the economics of it are infuriating in that sense that we're constantly sending money to some of the less salubrious regimes mm, around the world exactly yeah and think of the amount of you know um major issues that have happened around the world um and this is something we've talked about a little bit around um, sort of the democratisation of energy, um, yeah. and when we, you know, we've gone from a traditional hub and spokes model of, of energy yeah. generation to this uh, community traded uh, energy yeah. and and microgrids and and things like that, and that's something that I think is particularly interesting around yeah. that relationship. Like you say, I mean, ve- effectively, you know, the electric vehicle fleet becomes a grid on wheels. You yeah. know, um, yeah. and and I don't think people are fully grasped what the impact of that will be as well. But, no. I mean, it's a really different landscape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, 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 the two things I never saw coming when I first sort of took an interest in electric vehicles was electric flight. I never thought that would mm. happen. And, and vehicle to grid, which is what, we just, what you were just mentioning. The fact that your car is, a, is an energy storage system that can run your house. Mm. And, it, and it takes a while, you know, it's not that you would do that with it, but it, but you would aid the running, you could aid the running of your house. And, it, and you can use your car to buy electricity when it's really cheap and use it electricity when it's really expensive. You're shifting the, the, mm, the, the use the time. Mm. And that is, it can have an enormous impact. And uh, I mean, I've experienced that because I have a static battery in my home, but our electricity bill has dropped so much. And that is a house with electric cars, which so we use more mm. electricity than most normal houses do. Um, but it does make a big difference. If you can shift all that solar that you're getting in the daytime and use it like in the evenings when it's dark, you, you, you pay less. <laughs> mm. You pay less. And if you can then put the excess into your car, you pay even less again. And the kind of knock-on effect of that on a macro level for a whole country are really profound. And, you know, I, I think it's always important to say disruptive technology, technology disrupts stuff. It's <laughs> never always all for mm. the good. But I think in this particular instance, there are the benefits outweigh the the, the, the disadvantages. Yeah. Well, look, I, I've got a thousand other questions that I could ask you, but I I'm really um, so thankful that you've given us some of your time today, and it's been wonderful to catch up. Um, it's uh, it's we hope to see you more in Australia, and um, we'll have to get you along to some EV events, and hopefully, no, I'd love to. Yeah. you know, we'll see um, some uh, new 
models come on the market here because you know we're massively lacking and I mean there could be a whole you know we could spend an hour talking about some of the policies and things that might be able to happen uh, to make yeah. that EV uptake uh, well actually even have the, the ability to get models and hopefully um, I certainly saw on uh, a comment recently I don't know if you saw it on on Twitter um, with the I'm going to say this wrong. The Rivian, the the, the uh, well, I was just great... going to mention the because I just you know I've forgotten about the relevance of the pickup truck in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if people who are even mildly interested in uh, electric vehicles and pickup trucks, you will love the Rivian. It, I mean, and that, also since we've made the, the the show about them, they've just received I think uh, eight hundred million mm, dollar investment from Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know they're going to become a pretty strong player. They are, they are extraordinary. But they've players, actually, yeah. um, oh gosh, I can't remember the Tim Washington, who's um, involved in a charging company, put out a tweet to them, kind of saying, "Hey, are you going to come to Australia?" And they actually tweeted back saying, "It's a market we're really seriously yeah. looking at." Yeah. Um, so you know, uh, it would be great to, you know, the more models, the better. Um, yes. But, but yeah. that one, I think, would probably pick up a lot of interest. Now, I'm hoping I live long enough to be cruising the the, the, the Sunshine Coast hinterland and see a, a Rivian pickup going the other way and going, yes, <laughs> they got here. Cause they are. I mean, it's just very briefly for your listeners who are interested in performance pickups, which I've seen a few around Australia. However performance your performance pickup is, it's slower than the Rivian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and the towing capacity. You know, and the just... towing capacity is ridiculous, mm. yeah. Absolutely bonkers. You know. Yeah, exciting. And the range, the range is phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, they're not going to be cheap cars. There's no point arguing that they'll be cheap. No. But they're sort of cheap. They were cheaper than a lot of, because all, I think cars are expensive. It doesn't matter what what it is. You know, after after houses, it's the most expensive mm. thing we buy. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I, I wasn't, didn't notice that, but everyone's gone about, my God, that's much cheaper than I would have thought because it's a very high-end, high-performance incredibly fast, incredibly powerful pickup truck. Oh, well, and they do an SUV version as well, a very mm. luxury SUV. No, worth looking at the Rivian. You know. Yeah, no, that'll be great. Well, look, thanks so much. It's been wonderful having you on. And um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been good. We look forward to watching more. Well, actually, one of the other things I was going to say to you is the production values on the show now are so high. Yeah. You know, is it, tempt, is it tempting or is there any interest from, um, you know, broadcasters, the traditional TV kind of? Uh... Well, I, I mean, not not that we're overly aware of, but I mean, I think the, the whole sort of driving force of doing it is, I think if I hadn't ever worked in traditional TV, then I might be really keen to try and get it on what people consider normal telly. Mm. But actually, more people watch yeah, it on YouTube true. anyway, and there's, and I yep. don't have to go into an office and have a meeting with someone, <laughs> uh, you know, in a commissioning capacity to, to, you know, to convince them that it's a good idea. So it's been such an absolute joy after 30 years working in old school telly. And really, it. it's the new media. I mean, yeah, that's how I people mean, if, you know, if, consume if information. If, yeah, if 10 people were watching, and then a TV company said, "Oh, look, we'll, we'll," that would be different. But it's growing so fast, and it's, it's. You know, we're now we're now doing enough so that we actually employ. Uh, there's now six full-time, seven full-time people working on the show. You know, it's become a sort of small production company, and we've got so much more to, that we've got in the pipeline that that's what kind of keeps us going. And I, I don't, in a way, I, I mean, if we ever did anything for a broadcast, I'd want to do another 
show. I wouldn't want to mm-hmm. put fully charged on the on the telly. It's just mm-hmm. it's immediately. I tried to watch a BBC program that I would have watched the, in the UK, and I can't watch it because I'm in Australia. And you go, well, that's a bit silly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no that's, that's right. It's on YouTube, it's programmed. So restrictive. Yeah. yeah, no, that's right with geo blockers and everything. Yeah, and the yeah. other thing we'll do a shout out for, and I'm um, I haven't booked tickets yet, but I which will have a heavy carbon price. But anyway, I I really want to get there. Is for the live show. Fully charged live, seventh, eighth, and ninth of June. Yeah, yep. that's good. It is. I've just had an email this morning from uh, Dan, who's the guy who organises the live shows. I mean, it's terrifying because it's got so big over the first one we did last year was i think four times bigger than we dared dream As a lot of people came this year it's, it is a much bigger uh, uh, exhibition so there and we're doing we're running three thousand test drives over the wow. weekend in different cars so, which is on a on a motor racing circuit under supervision you can't go racing but you know it is um and there's so you know it's a, a lot of very exciting new models that no one's seen yet are going to be on display there. The, the big industry that's grown in the UK and Europe and in America is conversions. And I know that mm, is happening mm, here. I went yep. in an electric VW Beetle here the other day, and that was mm-hmm. lovely. Uh, you know, But that is a thing where people are using batteries and motors from electric cars and converting classic cars and old, old cars. And it's wonderful. So we've got really a lot of those on display, electric bikes, uh, all the kind of renewable energy stuff around the home. Lots of talks of really amazing people. I mean, I'm just staggered at who comes along. So, yeah, we're very much looking forward to that. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, um, if I get over there, I'll, I'll um, well, to come and come, say yeah, hello. Yeah, we'll yeah, I will do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was a little frantic last year. I've got it, I think we can organise it better this year. It was a little bit... It was a bit overwhelming for me last year. <laughs> well, it's a good problem to have, and it's great that... Well, it, um, is, it is. I'm not complaining. No, it was wonderful. Oh, great. All right, look, lovely to chat, and um, again, congratulations on the show, and, and you've you been a much. real um, visionary in this world, and I know that a lot of people probably that have been exposed to electric vehicles is, is via your channel, so well done. Well, that's very kind of you. I, I had a lot of help doing it. It's not just me. <laughs> All but right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robert. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed that show focusing on Robert Llewellyn and what he's achieved in publicising electric vehicles. Um, That brings us to the top of the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention, BZE Radio.